the first century BC, pirates riddled the Mediterranean, terrorizing vessels and frightening people that lived in areas. But there was one man those pirates probably should have feared themselves. Most of us have probably heard the name Julius Caesar. He went on to become one of the dictators of the Roman Empire. Decades before that, though, Julius Caesar was a young 25-year-old noble traveling by sea. Today he was. Now they decided to ransom the young man for 20 talents. That offended him. He thought he was worth a whole. We told him they needed to up the ransom to 50 talents. And during his time with his captors, he regularly told those pirates that if free, he was going to come back and gather them up and crew. Of course, pirates weren't going to worry about the threats of something. Less than two months, the ransom had been paid. Caesar was set free. He quickly went and gathered a naval force to go back to the same island where he had been held. Sure enough, captured all of those pirates, brought them back as prisoners, not long afterward. Clearly, those pirates should have taken seriously the threats of the Or they should have left the island after they got the ring. But either way, Peter had his And I share this because his story shows us something about revenge that I think holds true in the lives of many people. And that's that our revenge is often heavy uh, When someone wrongs us and we decide to get even, how often is our payback, is our retaliation actually in with what they've done? Usually, like Caesar, our response is rooted in our own satisfaction, not in what is true. No doubt this is many why God's people have been told in Romans chapter 12 not to take revenge, leave room for God's wrath. You see, when it comes to our revenge or God's justice life, His people should always choose justice. Because it's always perfect. Because God knows not only the actions that have taken place, motive. Heart. Whereas our revenge, it's impulsive, often We're going to be reminded of some of these things as we turn to Joshua chapter 20. If you have a Bible, go ahead and Joshua. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. You can use one of the Bibles in, under the seats in front of you, I should say. We're going to page 100 and As you turn there, I'd like to recap for everybody what's going on. Book of Joshua. Last time we were there, we saw how there were some tribes that were lazily standing at base camp. See, the major battles had been won in the Promised Land, and now the tribes of Israel portioned land. All of them had just been taking hold of what God. That was addressed with Joshua, and 
Now that they had received that land, Israel moved establishing that together. Look together. Joshua chapter 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the refuge. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally, unintentionally, they flee there, find protection, blood. They flee to one of these cities. They're just in the end of the city gate. State their case before the elders. And the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city. If the avenger of blood comes and the elders must not surrender the fugitive. Because the fugitive potentially has a forethought. They're to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. Now let's stop right here. Keep your place there in Joshua chapter 20. So what is going on in this chapter? First, we need to understand that God had made it clear to Israel many times that murder, uh, intentionally taking someone's life, that that is a grievous sin in God's sight. In fact, all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, God had declared that the just punishment for that crime was capital punishment. That's because human life is precious in God's sight. And to willingly shed innocent blood would result in the murderer's blood being shed in return. But you see, Israel didn't have a police force, crime scene investigators, or anything like that. In those days in Israel, if an individual was killed, then someone in the victim's family was designated as the avenger of blood. And that person had the legal responsibility to track down the killer and enact capital punishment in accordance with the law. I understand that for a lot of us, that might sound like some Wild West sort of stuff right there. But we need to understand that this was supposed to be handled justly. It was supposed to be handled within the limits of the law. I'm sure we can all imagine ways that that might have not have always been the case, though. That's why God commanded Israel to establish these cities of refuge. See, the point of them was that if somebody accidentally killed another person, they could flee to one of these cities and be protected from that avenger of blood until their case was thoroughly examined. This was innocent until proven guilty. After all, the death penalty was not supposed to extend to those involved in an unintentional and accidental killing. All right, think about it. If you lived during that time and you unintentionally took someone's life, a freak accident happened, and you were living during this time when there wasn't a thousand cell phones and security cameras always recording things. I mean, if there were only a few or no witnesses, then you'd look pretty guilty. But what, what if the killing was an accident? What if you didn't have any malice in your heart. You didn't, you didn't mean for that to happen. What if that blood avenger took vengeance without knowing all these facts? Well, in that case, the actions of the blood avenger would result in another innocent person being killed. 
So God established these cities of refuge to keep human vengeance from multiplying injustice in the land. That was their purpose. Now, in case you're wondering, what's an accidental killing? What does that even mean? You know what? There's an example that Moses gave years before what we find in Joshua 20. This is what Moses said. I'll read it for you. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Moses said this. He said, for instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him, even though he's not deserving of death since he did it to his neighbor without malice or forethought. All right, so there's an example for us. We may not do a lot of tree chopping with our friends, so maybe a more modern example would be somebody driving down the road. They're following the speed limit, doing all the right things. But then they look away from the road for just a minute, just a glance at their cell phone, change the radio. Without realizing it, they didn't see the pedestrian step into the crosswalk, and they hit the person and killed that individual. Well, see, that'd be considered involuntary manslaughter in our legal system today. It's not punished the same way that intentional, premeditated murder is. All right? And God is making a similar distinction among these things in Israel. The cities, these cities, they weren't protection for a murderer. If a murderer went there, went to a city of refuge, well, eventually they'd be found guilty of murder, and they would face the just judgment for that. Even those who unintentionally kill someone, they still face the consequence, though. They would now be confined to this city, or risk their life if they left, until the high priest in the nation passed away. See, our actions bear consequences. But what's the point of all of this? Why does this matter? I've said this many times that I believe that every word in the Bible matters. That God's put it here for a reason. It's for our good. It's so that we could get to know Him more, so we would know how to live for Him as His people. So what does the establishment of cities of refuge teach us today? Well, first, these cities, they teach us a lot about God. They're a reminder that God sees all human life as precious. That's why God's people should see all human life as precious. This is why God's people today have fought to protect the lives of the unborn. Just like back then, his people were to strive to protect the lives of those who committed terrible mistakes, but without malice in their hearts. Which is a reminder that God looks at the heart. He weighs the motive and the intent of the guilty one just as he weighs the action itself. It might be hard for us to understand or to grasp, but the good thing that we can praise the Lord for is that he's, he's just. Which is another thing that we find here, and that's the justice of God. The same way God demands justice of the murderer, he demands that what is just be done in the case of the manslaughterer as well. Which is not that they be put to death, but that they be confined to a certain place for a time. There were still consequences for them. They couldn't leave that city the rest of their life unless the high priest died. You see, while God is holy and just to punish sin, he is also gracious 
and merciful. In fact, as to his grace, we learn in Joshua chapter 20 and verses 7 and 8 that these six cities, the cities of refuge, they were evenly dispersed in the land. You see, there were going to be three on the eastern side of the Jordan and three on the western side. If you get a chance, go home and you can go ahead and Google that, search that on the internet. You'll find plenty of maps and where you'll be able to see on these maps how those cities were evenly distributed in the land. How on both sides of the Jordan, there's one in the north and in the south and in the middle part of those territories. They were easily accessible. As to God's widespread mercy, we find that these cities, they weren't just for Israel, they are for everyone. Look at verse 9, it says this. It says, any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Ultimately, what we find is that justice wasn't supposed to be withheld, it wasn't supposed to be delayed, but it also wasn't supposed to be tainted with personal vengeance. Because personal vengeance is often filled with injustice. God's justice, it's proper, it's right. Ours is usually selfish. And that's the thing, we don't just learn about God in this chapter, we learn a lot about ourselves too. See, we might be wondering, what are we supposed to take away from this? We don't have blood avengers today. Which is true. They were only established under God's law for Israel during a specific time in their history. So again, why does this matter for us? Well, one thing that these cities teach us about ourselves is that we tend to be quick to rush to judgment. And our judgment is not always right. Keep in mind, these cities didn't just protect the manslaughterer. They also protected the blood avenger from doing something rash and wrong, from acting without knowing all the facts. I mean, sometimes in the name of justice, we do things that are quite unjust. How many times have we seen that in our day and age? Where in the name of vengeance or in the name of justice, people go on to destroy the lives of others? They go on and kill one another. How many times have we seen that? And by the way, this isn't a new phenomenon. This has been going on for a very, very long time. That This is back in Genesis chapter 30. The vengeance that took place. In Genesis 34, we find that there was a man named Jacob who had a daughter and his daughter was assaulted in the land of Shechem by a man named Hamor. And Jacob's sons found out about this terrible crime that had been committed. And they were rightly outraged by it. So two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, they decided to take vengeance into their own hands. Oh, they devised a scheme to kill Hamor. But you see, they didn't just kill Hamor. In the end, they killed every male in the town of Shechem. Then they plundered the town. They looted all of its wealth and its people for themselves. Does that sound like justice?
years ago I preached on that passage. And someone came to me to express how angry they were that I didn't praise Simeon and Levi for what they had done. And I tried, I tried to explain that it was true that Hamor needed to face judgment for what he had done, but that the great issue was that when Simeon and Levi took matters into their own hands, they slaughtered all these people. Now, but no amount of explanation or answers I tried to give could satisfy this person. And you know, vengeance doesn't normally satisfy any of us either. Avengers of blood were a temporary part of the distribution of God's justice during this time in Israel's history that we're reading about. Now, under God's direction, they could be used to enact justice. Under man's direction, they could wreak havoc. God established cities of refuge because vengeance in the hands of sinners, it often creates more sin. Now, rest assured, None of us will ever be called by God to be an avenger of blood for anyone. But many of us will at times in our life face the desire to take revenge. To take matters into our own hands when someone wrongs us. When someone treats us unfairly. When they rob us of our hard work or our money. When they mistreat our family and our friends and our loved ones. When they try and tear us down and hurt our lives, back at them. We feel that pull to do whatever it is that we determine justice to be. We start to dwell on all the things that we want to do. We convince ourselves that revenge is best served by our own hands. Yet our brand of justice is not always right. No, it's quick to accuse. It's slow to consider, it's heavy-handed, it's often flawed. Instead of trying to take matters into our own hands, believers, we need to consider how it is that God wants us to live. This is what God has said to His people today. This is found in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. We've been told this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Believers, in those moments when we are filled with a desire to get back at those who have wronged us, to get even with them, to take revenge, we need to understand that if we walk down that path, we will be overcome by evil. Our retaliation isn't going to honor God. We're not going to right any wrongs. We're just going to add to the list of those wrongs. Instead, we have been commanded to love our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, we've been told to pray for them. And we should pray for them. We should pray that they would repent before the Lord and be made right with Him. 
And in the meantime, we can trust that God won't leave anything undone. God's not going to forget those who hurt or attack his people. Those who don't repent before him, they'll certainly fall into his hands of justice. And that's far more just than anything that our vengeful hearts can devise. So we should leave true justice to God. I mean, as far as it depends on us, we should live at peace with everyone. We should love them, even our enemies. We should care for them, even those who mistreat us. We should pray for them, even the ones we can't stand. After all, remember that our Savior died for them. So we should strive to love them the way that he did. True justice is in God's hands. Obedience is what should be found in our hands, church. So believers, in those moments when people do us wrong, when we find ourselves trying to decide between our revenge or God's justice, we should always, always choose his justice. Because his way is perfect. And in the meantime, we should love those who wrong us. We should pray for them. We should point them to Jesus Christ. A few years ago, there was a police officer who was off duty. And as she was returning home, she entered the wrong apartment. She shot and killed the man who lived in that apartment. She later said she thought he was an intruder. At her trial, that man's brother said the following to her. He said, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. I love you, just like anyone else. He said, I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die. He said, I personally want the best for you. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. That young man encouraged her to give her life to Jesus Christ. Then, with the judge's permission, he, he hugged the woman who had killed his brother. Today, that woman is in prison. She's facing the consequences for what happened. Later on, that young man opened up to others about how he had felt so much anger in his heart in the months leading up to the trial. But God moved in his heart to forgive her. Let's be honest, it's not easy to treat our enemies that way, is it? But the question is, do we, do we show love like that? And forgiveness like that towards people? Towards those who wrong us? Do we seek revenge or do we choose to trust God's justice? And instead, do we simply live to point people to Jesus Christ? Church, the truth this morning is this. When we are wronged in this life, we can trust that God will make all things right. We need to remember that. It's hard to remember that in those moments when we're wronged. But when we are wronged in this life, we can trust that God will make all things right. I am not saying He will make life easier for us. 
What I am saying is that his justice is better than anything we can come up with. And that it will come in his time, it will come in his way. So we can leave it in his hands. And instead we can choose to love those who wrong us and we can point them to Christ. Church, never forget. Never forget the example of our Savior. Remember that when he hung there dying on the cross for all the things that we have done, as he hung there and the crowds mocked him and taunted him, in the midst of all those things, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we need to show that same type of love. Even to those who might be our enemies in this life. Believers, maybe you're here and you know that you're harboring some hatred in your heart towards others. There's somebody who's wronged you and you're letting that just build up inside of you. If that's true, I'd encourage you during this time of invitation, during our final song, to go to the Lord in prayer. There might be some things on your heart that you need to be repenting of. There might be people that you need to lift up in prayer to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you know that you've taken revenge recently on someone else. And you need to confess that to the Lord. You need to ask Him to show you how to make things right. How to reconcile with that person. Maybe you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior. You've never gone to Him in faith for the forgiveness of your sins, that free gift of salvation that He offers. If that's true for you, then before you leave, I just want to tell you something else about those cities of refuge. Understand that the cities of refuge were part of God's grace. It's protection for that individual. But God didn't force it on the person. No, no, no. The, the individual had the choice whether or not to flee to those cities. They wanted, they could take their life into their own hands and refuse to go there. Friend, understand that you and I, praise the Lord, we have not killed anyone, I trust. But we've done bad things. We've broken His commands. We all know it. That we've done things we shouldn't have done. You see, the Bible says that the problem with all our sin is that our sin is separating us from God and that the just punishment for our sin is that we'll be separated forever from Him after this life in a place called hell. That's the just judgment for sin, is eternal death. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the wrath we deserve. And Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but powerfully rose from the dead and stands in heaven right now waiting to forgive you of all your sins give you eternal life, to save you from that penalty of hell. And understand something. There is only one person we can flee to for forgiveness, for a pardon from hell, and that is Jesus Christ. But also understand that God in His grace will not force that on you. You can choose to take your life into your own hands. You can choose not to go to Jesus Christ. But understand that if you choose that, then on that day when you stand before God in judgment, there will be no more opportunity for you to run into His arms for forgiveness. If you have never made that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sin, to be saved from hell, please know that you can do that today. Please know that His arms are open to you right now, no matter where you've been or what you've done. He's been waiting your whole life to save you.
Let's pray together. Friend, if that's you, if, if you know that Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, but you're ready for all that to change, I want you to know that you, you can come up, you can pray with me during this final invitation song. You can find me or one of the pastors after the service. Or if you're ready, then you can go to the Lord right now and give your life to Him. Because if you're ready, why wait any longer? You can go to the Lord and you can pray something like this. You can say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've broken Your laws. But Jesus, I know You died on the cross for my sins. And I believe You didn't stay in the grave, but that You rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm running into Your arms and I'm asking You for forgiveness. I'm asking You to save me. I'm asking You to be my Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who still hasn't made that decision to run into the Savior's arms of forgiveness, I pray they wouldn't leave here without talking to somebody about that. I pray they would come forward during this invitation song. I pray they would seek someone out before they leave. Because they don't have to go through life without you. And they certainly will not want to go through eternity without you. Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, please help us because there are so many moments when people wrong us and we just want to get even with them. Oh, and that part of our flesh comes out that wants to take revenge. In those moments, I pray that you would remind us of what you've told us in your word. That you would teach us to leave justice in your hands. That you would show us what it means to love our enemies. To pray for them. Father, I pray that we would always trust that you know best. And that because of that, we would choose to live how you've told us to live in your word. I thank you for your word. Thank you for all the truth in it. And Father, as always, we thank you for all the ways that you love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.